This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for May 12th, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Easter. Did you all know that Easter lasted for 50 days? Um, just like Christmas lasts for 12 days, um, Easter lasts for 50 days. Anybody know what day, what number it is today? I must say seven on the bulletin or anything, because I did that at eight o'clock too. If it was only seven, it'd be the seventh day of Easter. That'd be weird. <clears throat> 43, yes. The 43rd day. We only have one week to go. And Three days ago was Ascension Day, the day that Jesus ascended into heaven to be with the Father. He stayed with the disciples for 40 days, teaching them in the Scriptures everything concerning Him and telling them what their mission was going to be and what was to come. must have been an interesting time. If you talk about continuing ed, I mean, 40 days of a crash course, you know, to get you ready to go out. And then He ascends into heaven bodily. As they're there, you can still go to Mount Scopus and see the church that they built um, where he ascended to heaven. They even have a rock there that's the traditional place where he ascended to heaven. It has footprints in it. I'm a little skeptical, but <laughs> but it was somewhere around there, so it was close enough. Um, but And what's interesting about the place is that it, it was octagonal, had eight sides to show the eighth day, you know, the new time that was coming in. And it did not have a roof because you wouldn't want to have him hit his head on the way out. And the Muslims built, uh, made it, turned it into a mosque, which is interesting, and it has a dome on it, except that they left the hole in the, in the dome so that he still could get out, I, which things in Israel are fascinating when you go over there just try to figure out what they're about. We don't really do a lot with Ascension anymore. It used to be that Ascension Day was a day of holy obligation. Everyone, you, know, you couldn't go to work, you had to go to church. I mean, it was a big deal. Um, about 30, 40 years ago, the church gave up because we realized that nobody was doing it. Um, and so while it's still technically uh, one of the major feasts of the church, what the church has done is said, however, you can celebrate it on Sunday following. So today is Ascension Sunday as a result. So you all win. Um, Anyway, um, so part of the problem, though, has come that we don't really look at the ascension as being all that significant anymore. I mean, it's kind of like, okay, that's the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, you know, in the story, as though that had nothing to do with us, as though somehow or maybe at best you might say it's a, an exaltation of the Lord, you know, in his vindication as he's risen from the dead. A lot of times we even think of it as just sort of being convoluted with the whole resurrection idea and we forget that he was here for 40 days before he ascended. But it's actually very, very important, not only for Jesus, but also for us. You know, because it changes everything. Because when Jesus ascended back into the Godhead, what did he take with him? His body, yeah, but, but more importantly than just his body, human nature itself. Remember when Jesus became a baby, that even in Philippians it says that he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself of that and took on the form of a servant. In Christ we have this new creation, 
This new being who is both God and man all at one time. And when he ascends into heaven, something happens that had never, ever happened before that changes everything. And that's it. Human nature itself becomes a part of God. Well, that's pretty mind-blowing if you think about it. Human nature itself is now a part of God because Jesus has carried it with him into the heavens. Because had he not done that, there would be no hope. I mean, if you think about it, human nature by its very definition is mortal, isn't it? I mean, it'll die. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And our only hope for life that never ends is if somehow or other the life of God himself can come to us and be part of us. And that's what is promised to us, because in our baptisms, we are promised a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit that will come and dwell in us and be one with us, so that we too can share in that very nature that Christ have, had and has, both human and divine. In our very persons, when we are baptized, we are both fully human and fully God all at the same time. The only question is, which way are we going to act? You know, oftentimes we forget the fully God part. That's why, and it was a common thing. I mean, even in the New Testament, you read Paul is constantly reminding people, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Did you forget? <laughs> Let me remind you again. Do you not know that if you join your body with a prostitute, that you join Christ with a prostitute? He was over and over again, he's reminding them of how Vital it is to realize that Christ lives in us. That's what the priestly prayer that we read in the Gospel of John, that's what the theologians have called it, the high priestly prayer, as he prays for us. That's his prayer is that, Father, let me be in them and let you know they be one with me and with one another, just as you and I are one. That's the whole point. And without that, there would be no salvation. You know, we might have learned a really nice, a lot of nice things to do and better ways to behave, but there would not be life because we would all still die. And so the question for us really becomes the same thing that it was for, for Christ before he was born. Are we willing to empty ourselves of our willfulness in order to become one with him? Are we willing to surrender our lives so that we can find it? Are we willing to die to ourselves so that we can live as who we really are? Because that's the real hope of Christ. Now, there's something missing at this point in the story, though, when Jesus ascends bodily into heaven. And what happens to the disciples immediately after? Does anybody know what, what happens to them? They what? Yeah, they go in hiding. Well, that worked well. You think after 40 days, you know, I can happily understand if they want to go back and get out their notes or something, but, but to go into hiding? But actually, Jesus even told them that they needed to wait, didn't he? What are they waiting for? The Holy Spirit to fall upon them afresh. Now, they had no idea what was going to happen when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They, they knew about the Holy Spirit falling on people because they'd read stories about Isaiah and Elijah and Elisha and all these prophets you know, and, and what goes on then. But what would happen if, if all of them, were they going to go out and be prophets then, like those guys were? 
Or would something different happen? Would it be really a change? And so here they are waiting, but they're also still afraid because they know that if they go out and proclaim the good news, unhand that child. <laughs> I don't know what the problem is, but she is not happy. I that part I got. But no matter what they did, they knew that the authorities would come and try to get them. Don't you all wish you could hit that note? <laughs> oh, wow. If we could channel that and put it in the choir, wouldn't that be cool? That'd be so neat. And so they, they're afraid because, you know, they'll be arrested, they'll be killed, they don't know what to do. They're powerless. They have knowledge. They've learned a lot, but they don't really know what to do. And, and they don't really believe that they could accomplish it. And so they have to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of our baptism, by the way. That's what God promises us when he baptizes us, is that he will give us the gift of that Holy Spirit. And all too often, either we were so young and then nobody bothered to teach us about it, or we just thought it was a nice thing to do, that we don't pay attention to the power that lives in us in this gift of the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized, we are made one with God. Think about that. You are one with the source of everything that is created. There is nothing, nothing that is, that is separate. You are one with the one who spun the stars and galaxies out there. That's an amazing thing if you think about it. Now, part of our problem is that we don't think about it because we're not all that willing to surrender ourselves. All too often, we want to be in charge. Because after all, we know how to create the universe better than he did, don't we? Certainly, we should be put in charge of it, at least our part of it. And yet, the more we do that, the more chaos falls upon us. And the, and the less we become one with him and of one mind. You know, when Christ prays for the church that we all may be one, which if you think about it, given how many denominations there are, and it's not just that there are denominations. I don't think Jesus cares about denominations. But the fact that we don't get along is really a, a, a scandal to the church and to Christ. Because how can they believe that he's real when we can't even agree? Now, why would he say that? Was it so we're supposed to all march in lockstep with one person who decides? Well, no. It has to do with who's in charge. You see, as long as any human being is in charge, guess what you're going to get? Dissension. I mean, you're going to have problems. But what he's praying for is that we would all surrender ourselves, and so it would be the Father who is in charge, not us. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of us would be able to hear the voice of God and be of one mind. That's the thing that we need to struggle towards. And we need to realize that in this time frame, particularly over the next week as we come down to the end of Easter, you know, in the great 50 days, that Pentecost, that's what it means, the 50th day, that we need to pray for a fresh anointing of this Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that you get extra Holy Spirit, like he's a quantity, you know, I'd like a cup and a half, please, or something. What it is, it's that we need to be reminded, renewed, 
we need to once again surrender ourselves over to the very power of God. And if we would do that, we would see a very different kind of church. It wouldn't be a church that saw itself as primarily a bunch of people who went to a building to do something. It would be a church that went out to tell people something. Because that's what happened to the disciples. Once the Holy Spirit came upon them, they couldn't keep their mouths shut. I mean, they had to tell everybody about the good news of what God had done. They were so obnoxious about it, they thought they were drunk and it was 9 o'clock in the morning. You haven't heard church people be accused of that very often, have you? Imagine that one. And yet, they were so excited about what God had done because everything had changed. We didn't have to be creatures anymore. We share in the very nature of Christ. And the real crime, if you will, of today's world is that so many people don't know it because we don't tell them. Because we're so busy with our own ideas about the way the world ought to be in our own little world doing what we think is important that it never occurs to us that it doesn't belong to us and that we're only here temporarily and that we're here for a mission to tell people. And then we're shocked. We're shocked that there are people in Cleveland who do the kinds of things that that guy did when he kidnapped those women. You know, we're shocked when we hear of the evil and just the, the meanness of people. You know, we're shocked. You know, I was, after I did a funeral in Beaver Creek on Thursday, and um, I come out, and I'm, you know, I'm wearing a collar and all, and um, this guy comes flying up behind me, and, and the road narrowed into one lane, and he didn't get around me in time. So he, he gave me that universal sign of respect that everybody does when they do something they don't approve of. And I thought to myself, you know, and what was really hilarious about it was that I had to stop almost immediately because there was a line of cars at a red light. So I thought, gee, you could have gotten a whole car length further if you had. <laughs> it would have been so I'm sorry that I really messed it up for you. But how do you get to be like that? You get to be like that because you don't have hope. There isn't anything really meaningful to live for. So what do you live for? Yourself, what you need right now, what's important to you right now. Because we've given up hope that we can change things. You know, it's not always been that way, by the way. We've seen Christians throughout the centuries who have changed things. Martin Luther, imagine if he said, well, there's nothing to do about the Catholic churches because stay that way, so what? I mean, might as well just go back to my cell as a monk and, and cry. And yet, he affected not only Protestantism, but he caused the Counter-Reformation in the Catholic Church. You know, which ultimately, quite honestly, had they had the Council of Trent prior to Luther, he wouldn't have done anything. <laughs> he would have been perfectly happy. And so this effect of somehow or other there's more because we've lost ourselves. Even in this country, we live in such a blessed and wonderful place. It wasn't that way at the beginning. It was people who believed there could be more, who believed that God had endowed us with more. They believed that they had a holy mission. Nowadays, if you say you have a holy mission, they think you're on a jihad or something, and they, they write you up as a nut. That's sad that people look at the world and this is all we get. You know, and it's hard to proclaim the good news. I realize that. I mean, I know that if you go to work and say things, you know, 
Either your boss won't approve, or if your boss is more understanding than that, then the people around you will think you're a little kooky, I mean, strange, they'll start avoiding you. Well, until they start accusing you of being drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning, crucifying you upside down, you're probably not that bad off. But we've become so accustomed to luxury in this country because God has blessed us so much that we almost believe we don't need it. We're doing good. You know, we complain about how bad the economy is. We don't like the politics. We don't like this or that. Most of the world doesn't complain about those things. Most of the world complains because they don't have anything to eat today. They complain because their water is, is contaminated. And if you drink it, you'll get sick. And so how do you proclaim good news to people who don't need good news? There's only one way to do it. And that's to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to forget about all of the luxury, to forget about all those things and their blessings, they're wonderful, but they aren't life. And then what Jesus told us, what good does it do to you to store up all of your, your fortune in barns only to die that day? You know, what, what good would it have done you? And we've forgotten the real mission, that the only reason we are here is we live in that in-between time from when Christ descended and when He returns. And our mission, our job, is to tell people the good news of what God has done. To tell them that there is hope, even in the face of hopelessness. That there is a way to heal a broken world. And to be so enthusiastic and excited about it, that the joy becomes contagious. And people want to be a part of it. But there is a cost. The cost is that we have to die to ourselves. We have to stop thinking we're so darned important. Because in reality, brace yourself, you're not. Believe it or not, God did not create the universe for you specifically. I know it feels that way, but He really didn't. God created it for Him. And when we take our part in it, it's the only time that we can really be who we were created to be. And it's the only time that we'll find true happiness and real joy. And it's the only time that we'll have good news to share with those who haven't heard. And so we need to pray this week for this fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit to rekindle that flame that God gave us when He placed His Spirit within us, to re restore that knowledge, that certainty, that conscious you know, presence of the God within us so that we can do exactly as Jesus did. And that is nothing but what the Father gave Him to do. And He said nothing but what the Father gave Him to say. And when we do that, will there be controversy? Sure. But watch the church blossom. Because there will be hope again. Until the church begins to be known for hope and joy, there will be nothing but a club. Well, frankly... I don't know about you, but I don't really want to belong to a club. I want to belong to the kingdom of God. It's in you. It's in me. Let's pray that God will set it on fire again, that we can share it with the world so that there don't need to be any more kidnappings like the one in Cleveland. There don't need to be any more shootings because God rules over all. Amen. You are just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. 
St. Andrews is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see. Oh, she means, as long